0: Welcome to another episode of Now to Next, the SCNH Group podcast. Today, we are really excited. We've got a great opportunity to hear about a really interesting story. On March 1st, 2019, Cornea Gen formally announced the acquisition of Carolink, represented by SCNH Capital. Today, we've got a really special chance to hear from all three sides in what is a very unique transaction. We are joined by CEO of Carolink, Doug Furlong, CEO of Cornea Gen, Monty Montoya, and Managing Director of SCNH Capital, Chris Helmrath. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. So we've got a really unique opportunity today to get three perspectives on a really exciting deal that took place recently. And so I want to let these guys tell you how all of it unfolded from beginning to end and, and let them tell you kind of what they learned throughout the process. But first, let's hear a little bit about them. Doug Furlong, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me in.
0: So Doug, can you tell us a little bit about you and, and your organization?
1: Sure. Um, I'm the CEO of an organization that's named Carolink International. Carolink uh, International uh, has a very proud history in the field of corneal blindness treatment. Uh, we, in our previous iteration with a previous name, we were known as Tissue Banks International, uh, but it's the same uh, nonprofit. It's now known as Carolink International. And uh, Tissue Banks International slash Carolink uh, goes back 55 years. Uh, we were one of the original eye um, bank networks in the United States. Uh, we were started in Maryland and eventually uh, uh, went across the country uh, with a network of eye banks and i don 't know whether your listeners uh, are familiar with what an eye bank does, but an eye bank uh, is a necessary component of the treatment of corneal blindness So if someone has corneal blindness, that means that the cornea, which is the very front part of their eye that covers their iris and pupil, it's like a clear windshield, uh, that gets uh, somehow uh, occluded. It it, it gets scarred or there's disease or there's some other thing happening uh, to cause it uh, to become opaque. And the way you treat that uh, is when someone dies, if that person has a clear cornea, uh, the family donates that cornea. Uh, to an eye bank. The eye bank recovers the cornea, and then within a certain number of hours and days, transplants that cornea into the living patient and cuts out the opaque cornea in the living patient, puts the clear cornea in from the recently deceased donor, and presto, you can see again. Uh, And so this is the most common transplant performed in the United States or even in the world. Uh, And it's done about 50,000 times a year. And what an eye bank does is the eye bank uh, deals with the process between approaching the family and and recovering the cornea properly, testing it for safety, you know, running uh, uh, serology and so forth to make sure you're not inadvertently transmitting disease like you would with any transplant, uh, and then preparing it to the surgeon's specifications, and then, within a certain number of hours and days, getting it to the surgeon in time for the surgeon to uh, uh, implant the, the tissue. And that's an eye bank's role. And so uh, that uh, Tissue Banks International and then Carolink International until very recently uh, was doing that uh, as one of the leading eye banks uh, in the country. And um, that's, that's what we do. Uh, my particular background, is that I'm an attorney, actually. I'm not a lifetime iBanker, unlike Monty Montoya, who's on the phone, who's the CEO of Corneagen, who truly is a lifetime iBanker. But I'm I'm an attorney, and I got involved in this because I've been on the board of directors of this organization for about 18 years, and uh, almost that entire time was there essentially outside general counsel. And about three years ago, uh, we uh, decided we wanted to go in potentially a different direction, which has now come to fruition with this deal. Uh, and uh, they asked me to come in and be the CEO. So that's how I'm in the position I'm in now.
0: Gotcha. And so, Monty, thank you for joining us as well. So, you know, being in this business, can you give us a sense first on, on Cornea Gen as a business? And then what does what the marketplace for iBanks look like today? Uh, you know, and obviously even prior to sure. and now after this transaction.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Matt. I'm really uh, excited to be here and share a little bit about our story uh, with with Caroline and 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 Chris and the team. And and so for CorneaGen, we are a mission-focused, venture-backed spin-out from a nonprofit. And the mission of CorneaGen is to serve as a global leader and partner to eliminate corneal blindness by 2040. So very quickly you can see that there's a a, a pretty fantastic fit between Cornea and Carolink. And, and in our particular case, what Corneagen is about is creating a platform company that can build a marketplace around the cornea so that the unmet medical needs, the cornea blindness that exists across the U.S. and around the world can be better served with innovation that comes as a result of building a marketplace that rewards investors and rewards innovation. And so we are very excited to complete this transaction because it's a major step in our process of consolidating the marketplace for providing corneas for transplants. And as Doug mentioned, there's about fifty thousand cornea transplants performed a year in the US and and that represents a, a market size that's probably somewhere in the two hundred and fifty to three hundred million dollar range. The amazing thing is, when you look at the indications, the, the the things that cause cornea blindness, and you add it all up, the cornea blindness market should be a fifty-plus billion dollar market. So when you think that you know we're only generating two hundred and fifty to three hundred million dollars of revenue a year, where we should be generating billions, uh, what that means is that there are patients, millions of them across the globe, who are going untreated and remain in blindness because of the lack of access to care. and So, uh, CorneaGen is uh, all about uh, creating that platform company that that can really build that marketplace and help us achieve the mission of eliminating corneal blindness by 2040.
0: Great. And last but not least we're joined by Chris Helmrath, managing director of SCNH Capital. Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks, Mac. So, can you tell us a little bit about SCNH Capital, right? And then obviously the role you played in the transaction.
3: Uh, SCNH Capital is a middle market investment banking group that has specialized in uh, a multiple of industries, but healthcare being one. And I was introduced to Doug probably a year before the transaction, and we started talking about what it might mean in a transaction mode for somebody who is mission oriented nonprofit and very singular in their focus what that could mean at the end of the day to allow them to achieve the objectives that the board and the management team was hoping to achieve by uh, this transaction occurring.
0: So let's go back to, Doug, you and the board arrived at a decision for KiraLink that you know, the next step for the organization was going to be, I'll call it a pivot for all intents and purposes. Can, can you talk to us about how you guys got there and, and what, would it, what it was like at that
1: decision? Sure. Um, Monty alluded to uh, the, the large unmet need around the world. Um, let me give you some facts and figures. We, we, we have about 50,000 transplants happening in the United States every year, and there's about 50,000 people in the U.S. every year who need one. So uh, essentially, if you need a transplant and you need a cornea in the United States, you get one uh, for, for all intents and purposes. Outside the United States, it's the exact opposite of that. There are about 10 million people around the globe uh, who need uh, treatment for corneal blindness who are not getting it. Uh, The vast majority of those live in the developing world, and the vast majority of those living in the developing world with this problem are children and young adults. Um, And so you have a massive unmet need. And so we as Carolink looked at that and said, you know, if we could find the right partner to essentially be a good steward of what we've been doing so proudly in the United States for 55 years, and we could uh, uh, have them uh, essentially uh, pay us uh, for the assets that we have in the United States, we would be very well financed going forward to attack the bigger problem. Uh, And so uh, that's the task uh, that we set about doing, which was to find the right partner, uh, which we ultimately did in Corneagen. Uh, and then to uh, put a deal together that would allow us to, to in a responsible way, um, uh, transfer the assets and at the same time uh, uh, achieve the, the goal of creating a fund uh, that we can use to go attack the larger uh, problem outside the United States where, where the real unmet need is. I mean, we're a nonprofit. We, we only uh, exist to treat people who need help. And so, if we want to be the most impactful uh, that we can, uh, this is the path that we chose. Uh, And then I was introduced to Chris Helmrath, and uh, like I said, we we had conversations going back a year before we ever actually pulled the trigger on the deal, just to, uh, Chris was helping me think through what the possibilities were. Uh, And and then we ultimately uh, were able to um, make it happen. Chris, so you obviously see a lot of businesses
0: at a lot of different places, uh, and obviously a lot of your clientele usually is exiting and and that signals completion. Mm -hmm. I think the interesting thing we see here with Doug and Carolink was it was the start of something new. Can you talk about what you saw and heard in those conversations that made this particular transaction different, more interesting than others?
3: Right. So we've been very fortunate. As a group to work with a lot of nonprofits in the healthcare space. So, in starting this conversation, it was really about understanding the singular focus that Carolyn had in understanding corneal blindness and the issues that were related, but the goal of a worldwide uh, conquering, if you will, to try to cure a disease or to cure a, a problem. And that's what I think made it truly unique. So many deals are. How do I sell something? How do I get as much money as possible? How do I race to Tahiti and go live the rest of my life on a beach? But this was just the opposite. This was a committed board and a committed management team that said, we have a bigger mountain that we want to Mm -hmm. climb that will make people's lives better worldwide if we find the right partner. And how can you not want to be a part of a transaction like that to help somebody help others? knowing that at the end of the day, everybody wins.
0: How much does that clarity help in a process like this?
3: Oh, tremendous, as opposed to, oh, I just wanna take the most money I can and go live on the beach. This was not difficult in spending my time with Doug and spending my time with the management team and in talking with board members, that this was absolutely a singular focus. How do we eradicate corneal blindness in the world, period? And it's a big mountain to climb, but we're willing to give it a whirl. We just have to find the right way to do it. So, Monty, these guys come
0: in front of you now, and you guys get connected cross paths. Where was Gen at the time when this initial concept kind of came around, and and what was that initial reaction when you guys started having conversations?
2: So at Gen, we have done a lot of work understanding the market and, and what we needed to do to advance our company and our mission. And one of the core elements of of our strategy is to drive consolidation in the iBanking space. And we have been very bold about saying we we want to get to 50% market share in the iBanking space. And if you look at the current iBanking space, it's very fragmented. You've got 60-plus different organizations, many of whom are are very small and under-resourced. And as we're advancing... The technology in the cornea space, that means that there's a wider and wider gap between the technology that organizations like Gen can provide and what these smaller banks can provide. And so we were looking for viable consolidation opportunities or acquisitions. And when this was first presented to us, we were very excited. And, and that here's really one of the largest iBank organizations in the U.S. that is, thinking on the same plane we are. They were thinking about the mission and what they could do to really help the mission move forward. And so for us to be able to engage not only at at the level of of potentially executing a transaction, but also with the organization and a management team that was equally as passionate about the the bigger picture, it it really uh, excited us. And then the other thing I would say about this that was very unique, and we've done multiple transactions and, and acquisitions in the ad space. This is the first group that had actually retained an investment banker. And so from the very beginning, this was such a, a organized and, and clear process um, because of the information that Chris and Doug had put together. It just made the negotiations, the conversation, and all the way up to the close, so much easier than other experiences we've had where we weren't working uh, in a process that was was shepherded by a professional that, that really knew how to, to work these transactions through. So all of those things together for us, you know, on the, on the first uh, pass of, of hearing about this opportunity made us very excited about, about the opportunity.
1: Uh, let me just follow up on what Monty just said uh, because he mentioned a couple of things that are really important for the context of this deal and why we thought it made so much sense. It, he mentioned consolidation in the industry. So there's about 65 or so I banks in the United States. Um, and the iBanking um, industry has actually become pretty sophisticated in the last 10 or 12 years. We're processing tissue in ways that weren't uh, even thought of 10 or 12 years ago, that results in uh, the need for a lot of uh, infrastructure in, the terms, in terms of equipment, clean rooms, things like that. So it's become expensive to run an bank properly at the highest level. And so uh, when you have um, a saturation in the U.S. market, uh, that means that there's only so many surgeons in the U.S. that need your tissue. And so what's happening is uh, you're, you're trying to operate in a market where uh, the only way that you can um, um, uh, bring in more revenue is to essentially take market share from another iBank. Uh, that results in um, a situation where uh, the, the, the resources often are being spent in that effort as opposed to putting them toward innovation. And what Monty is alluding to when he says consolidation is something that we believe is so important. If we're going to innovate in this area, we need to free up resources. We shouldn't be spending resources uh, in, a, in a lateral way. We should be spending resources in a, in a way that, that actually improves care, or not just in the US, but around the world. That's what the consolidation is, is, is aiming at. And we saw this as something that's necessary. Uh, Corneagen has, has set out to uh, become a leader in that effort, and the whole idea is to free up resources to innovate, and the main innovation is to figure out a way to deal with the lack of tissue around the world, because the United States is about 40 years ahead of the rest of the world when it comes to organ and tissue donation, so we're looking to jumpstart that by, by, by determining through innovation workarounds for the lack of tissue. Uh, and Monty can speak to some of the exciting work that they're doing on the innovation side to deal with that. Uh, but that's what's necessary to attack the bigger problem. Uh, so we're looking at this uh, in, in, a we believe, a very smart business sense. If you're committed to really attacking the problem, uh, then you've got to be disruptive. And that's what this deal was, for sure.
0: So- Chris, when you look at the process and bringing two entities together like this with the obvious culture transition that you're moving a lot of Carolink employees over to Corneagen, how does that play into the process? And, and curious how you and Doug kind of work through that in making sure and then let Monty weigh in on that as
3: well. Oh, it, it was absolutely critical, and, and I'm going to be intrigued by Monty's feedback on this as well. But when we set out and we put together the materials that we did that Monty actually saw at the beginning – it really talked about the mission. It talked about the people. But most importantly, there's a tether still between the two organizations because Carolink will continue to work with Corneagen to effectuate their plan. And so part of this as well was, hey, if we're gonna do a deal with whoever we're doing the deal with, the culture has to be right because we're gonna continue to work together. Unlike so many transactions where It's take everything, I'm running away, and I'll never deal with you again. These two gentlemen and their teams are gonna continue to work together. And so that was critical in that entire process. And it was our hope that we had communicated that clearly in the beginning so that Monty and the others that looked at this potential transaction knew exactly what it was that Doug and the board wanted to do that culture was critical, that mission was critical, and that we laid out exactly what we needed in a partner to be successful. And that's what I think made this easy because the communication back and forth, when Monty and I got on the phone or if I was talking to any of his folks, they knew exactly why we were asking the questions that we were asking, and it was pinpoint that we were all then in that same
0: boat. Doug, what kind of pressure is that for you on this side, right? So obviously because of that connectivity, making sure you get this right, whether it be just not just to the board but to the employees you know, that work for you.
1: Yeah. Um, so what we did actually is right into the deal um, in black and white, uh, this, these, this ongoing relationship, it was very important to us uh, that we not only were finding a good steward of what we were handing off, but also that they'd be there for us moving forward to do things like, and this is written into the documents, uh, uh, provide tissue at most favored nation pricing for research that we want to do abroad, Uh, give us continuing access to the facilities, not just the facilities, the six facilities that we um, uh, transferred to general but all of their facilities uh, as needed if we want to bring surgeons over for training and so forth, continuing access to people, Uh, including the people that went from Carolink over to Corneagen. And to give you a great example of that, in mid-May, I'm going to be in Mumbai uh, to um, uh, kick off a pilot project that we're doing uh, in Mumbai. And I called Monty, and I said, Monty, uh, the best people uh, to help us with that pilot project just went from Carolink over to Corneagen. I know who they are. There's a couple of them. Uh, I'd like to borrow them for a week and take them with us to Mumbai to help us get this project uh, started. Monty said, fantastic, you got it. Uh, and that type of cooperation was so essential to this deal. Uh, we were only going to do a deal if we had that type of cooperation in place. And I knew with Monty, you know, we've, we've been talking to each other for a number of years um, about this concept uh, that I had an excellent partner uh, with Monty Montoya, you know, if he tells you he's going to do something, he does it. Uh, it's as simple as that. Monty, how about your perspective on
0: that? I mean, how, at some level, that connectivity had to feel good of knowing, you know, through this acquisition, you, you, they were staying around. You know, can you can you tell us what how, how you felt going through that?
2: Well, again, the the information and in the organization that Caroline had done and the work that Chris and Doug had done to to really package the opportunity. And, and make it patently clear that it was all about the mission um, gave us a, a really high indication that, that we were the right partner and that, that we wanted to be aggressive in pursuing this opportunity. Uh, a couple of things that, that I would add to this that, that I think are, are really significant. And, you know, uh, I have been in this field and, and been working this field my entire career in um, a partner, you're looking for somebody that's gonna have an equal level of commitment. And so, in working with Doug, Doug's somebody who uh, left his career as a partner at a law firm, and and I'll let you and your listeners imagine what he was making on an annual basis, took a huge pay cut, became the CEO of this organization, and then said, you know what, to do the right thing for the mission, you know, we're gonna actually have to, to change our focus to be all international and not just domestic. And we're going to spin out a a big part of the organization. So step by step, Doug has, in very tangible, real ways, proven his commitment to the mission. So I think having that, having the why set uh, at the very beginning of a negotiation between both sides really helps a ton. The other thing that, that is very significant in this is that Doug and his team, they had done a lot of work on improving and upgrading the quality of people that work in Carolyn. And, and I think there was a point where they weren't sure if they were going to do this or or try to compete in the domestic market. So they had really done a lot of work to upgrade the talent level in the organization. And so when you talk about culture going forward, that's a, a very critical thing for corneogen obviously. And, and any uh, acquisition merger, that is one of the Biggest challenges is how do you you know convert people over uh, from one culture to the other, and what I can say I mean is we we've been you know sort of uh, just really happy and pleased. The quality of the people that came over to Cornyagen from Caroline are to a person excellent. These are great people, and probably more important for us, they are passionate about the mission, and so taking those people, putting in an environment where they get to accelerate their ability to serve that mission in a bigger organization. Um, th- the level of enthusiasm from the you know, CareLink employees has actually been an injection of positivity for the entire organization. And I think that's, that's not a normal thing you would see in other transactions that we've done. You know, people come on board, they're tentative, they're not sure, you know, where's my place in all this? <clears throat> With the the culture that the Carolink had and the quality of people, those people once they, they landed inside of a, a corny agenda, they just lit up and, and did even more. And so that part of the transaction um, has been very, very positive for us. And you know, I have to give huge kudos to Doug and, and the leadership team at, at Carolink for for the work that they did that that allowed us to inherit these, you know, really passionate and committed employees.
0: So, Chris, you've obviously done a lot of transactions. If you watch the game tape back on this one, what about this process do you think went really well or would be worth talking about that you know, people could take away and you know, to the extent they find themselves in this spot from
3: in the future? I, I think it's, it's focus on both sides where Monty highlighted what Doug and the board had done here at Carolink. And I think there was some real yeoman's efforts that went into what Monty just described on the upgrading of where Carolink was versus where it may have been in in the past. But what has gone without a lot of discussion is what Monty and his team have done, which is they created an organization out of a different organization and stood it up and created a mission – in about that same time frame that Doug and his team had, and it was the ability to work with two leaders that had done their work, had done their homework, knew what they wanted to do, and were open to the kinds of discussions that had to go on, Monty having to diligence Carolink, and we had to diligence Corneogen. And it it worked both ways, but it wasn't... Monty saying, no, 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 you can't do that. And it wasn't Doug saying, no, no, no. They were both very open and had two great organizations that realized once we spent some time together up in some hotel rooms in uh, Boston uh, having discussions, it it was, wow, this is really something that could come together. And so that would be the biggest thing I would say is even though both organizations had gone through change, they had leadership that knew where they were going and were open to the discussions that had to occur to find where does one plus one equal more than two? Doug, when you
0: look at it as CEO coming in, there's a you know expectations <laughs> versus reality in this type of process. What, what were the biggest learning points for you going through this exercise?
1: Uh, the a couple of things. The one learning uh, um, curve for me. Uh, was to essentially hand over uh, to Chris and his team uh, really so many of the um, of the details. You know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, so I'm a detail person, and I want to see what's happening uh, and so forth. And I was certainly on top of these things, but I had to trust uh, SC&H and Chris uh, to be actually handling everything. And in pretty short order... I thought to myself, wow, these guys are really good. I mean, they're coming up with things that I never would have dreamed of uh, to try to put this deal together in a compelling way, not just for uh, uh, Monty and his team as the uh, acquiring partner, but also for my organization and my board of directors. Uh, It wasn't until the, the deal was really put together in the way that Chris and his team put it together that my board was able to see the whole thing and say, you know what, we should do this, let's pull the trigger. Because we really weren't, uh, we, we were willing to wait. We were willing to wait until we had exactly the right deal and exactly the right partner. And uh, Chris and his team uh, were, were, you know, fantastic in, in, in putting it together in a way that once you saw it the way that Chris saw it, you know, it, it's a no-brainer you know, we have to do this deal. It, we've, we've, we've now negotiated every possible thing that, that we would care about. So uh, uh, in terms of, of my learning curve, uh, it was um, uh, to, in pretty short order, realize that that Chris had a very big vision for what this thing should look like and to trust that.
0: And, and, Monty, you mentioned you've been through these before, and you, and you commented on kind of the process just being organized, and I believe the word clean. But, you know, can you talk about, you know, put this one against others, and, you know, what do you, what do you take away from it as, you know, whether it's learning curve, learning moments, uh, going through this experience?
2: Well, for Gen, for this is the first acquisition that, that we were able to enter into where the uh, organization we were potentially going to acquire it actually employed a, a professional and so it was a very different animal and, and previously we've worked with organizations that had very much more of a ma and paw approach to this and and mm-hmm. we had to you know sort of help them understand their why. Why 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 are we selling? What what's going on here? And that took a lot of time and energy. And then we had to help them understand the how. Well how does this happen? And no, you, you can't hire your, your brother-in-law who's an attorney that does a state law to, to help you do this transaction you actually need to find a, an attorney that, that actually knows how to do uh, you know mergers and acquisitions and and so we spent a lot of time and energy in previous transactions actually educating uh, the organization that we were going to acquire so that they could could get that stuff down. Having Chris and his team involved with Caroline, they had already gone through all of that. They were so much more prepared and comfortable with the process. And then having that clarity of why, why are we doing this transaction? It just eliminated a lot of a lot of waste, um, a lot of frustration, and a lot of challenge. And you know to be clear, there was real negotiation at this transaction and it, and it wasn't easy by any stretch of the word. Um, none of these transactions are, and, and you know, Doug was negotiating to get the best possible deal for for Carolink International's future, and I was negotiating to try to get the best deal for our investors and and be able to you know have a, a transaction that provided creative value to to Gen as quickly as possible. And so we both had uh, important things that we had to negotiate to, but understanding the why, and then having people who could very uh, clearly dictate how we got to that through the process. Um, it saved a lot of, of time. I believe it saved a lot of money for both organizations as well. And, you know, in the future, if, if in our next transaction, if somebody's like, Hey, you know, they're kind of struggling in this and they don't have uh, somebody like SDNH to work with, I, I probably would say, Hey, call Chris. And and geez, he'll work for you because he knows how to do these things, and he can really help you guys out because of, you know it had that much of an impact on the, the overall quality of the transaction. Now, just add in, you know, we're about four weeks in here uh, post transaction, and, and the integration is going uh, full speed. And again, this is this is the largest transaction Agent has ever done, and in our you know, world and, and Doug can correct me if I'm not right, but this is a little bit like Pepsi and Coke merging in the iBank world to have Carolink and Corneogen merged together for the, you know, the two largest players have come together. So very complicated integration and about four weeks in, it has so far been the smoothest integration that we've had of any of the transactions. Again, based on the work that Carolink and and, and Chris and the SDNH team did before it just sets us up to to have a much much smoother integration, and then I can deliver on on my objective for the the shareholders and investors of Corneagen to deliver uh, value in that. And then most importantly, in this whole process, the patients and surgeons that are served uh, via the transplant tissue that we provide, there's no interruption of service for those customers and those patients in the transaction process. And, um, you know, four weeks in, you would have expected a ball to be dropped somewhere, and, and we just haven't had that happen over hundreds and hundreds of opportunities to, to make a mistake. The integration has been so smooth and, and so positive that, that we've been able to to really delight our customers and bring the Caroling customers on board and, and delight them as well. And so, uh, you know, I think all of that has, has just made this a, a really successful transaction and also set us up for success going forward, both
0: organizations. So, so guys, when when you look at it and when you go in this final segment of stepping out of the iBank business, and, and Doug, I really want to start with you on this, right? So you're CEO of an organization that's at a critical point, and you guys have this big decision, big event that's clearly going to happen. Who do you turn to when that comes across? You know, I imagine that's some trusted advisors, but who, when you found yourself at that point, who who did you look to? And and really, you know, for other CEOs and owners listening, what, what advice would you give them? Uh,
1: well, the first thing to do was to put together a team of advisors. So, uh, Chris and SCNH was uh, critical to that as the investment banker or investment really advisor side of this. Uh, the other is to is to have a, a, a good lawyer. Uh, you know, we I was actually introduced to Chris by uh, a guy named Mark Jensen. Uh, and Mark is the managing partner of a firm called Bowie and Jensen in Towson, Maryland. Um, and Mark, uh, like Chris, uh, does a lot of uh, merger and acquisition work in the um, healthcare space, nonprofit healthcare space. So he was a he was a natural fit. Um, and um, that was my initial call was to Mark to help me think about this. What the possibilities were, and so forth, and then Mark actually introduced me to Chris Helmrath because he had done many, many deals uh, where Chris was involved, and he said, "You know, SCNH is really well suited to this particular um, transaction, and so, in terms of what I needed to do t- as the CEO uh, was to put together the right team to uh, not only get a deal done but to help us think about the deal and what the possibilities of the deal could be. Uh, You know, Monty um, said that the transition's gone well. That doesn't happen by accident. The transition's gone well because you had two sets of lawyers, Monty's legal team, Bowie and Jensen on our side, who were constantly thinking about the day after close. What's the day after the close going to look like? How do we make sure that the patients and the surgeons are continuing to get what they need so that these people can be made to see again. Because both organizations, that's the paramount mission. Um, and so, so much time and effort was put into uh, the, the transition, and then what the period after the close was going to look like for those patients and surgeons. Um, again, it doesn't happen by accident. You have to have the right professionals who understand that that's what matters to the clients.
0: So, Monty, you just came off of, you know, an expensive purchase for you and your shareholders, which hopefully catapults you guys forward. I, I'd love for your perspective on what advice would you give a, a sell-side CEO, that, you know, coming off of buying? What made it attractive and, you know, what advice do you have to give?
2: Yeah, I, I think the the key for, for sell-side CEOs is, is as you're building your company, build your network. And those people that you work with, whether it's your attorneys, your accountants, your bankers, don't just view them as vendors providing a service, get to know them, network with them, build a relationship with them, because they have tentacles into the community and can provide you access to the right kind of resources you need. If you get to the point where you're, you're thinking about selling your company. And so as Doug said, he reached out to his attorney, who eventually connected him to Chris, and and that set us all up on a path for success. And so making sure that you have that network, and, and I think Doug and I both benefit from having worked and, and been a part of a, a, a city, Doug's case, Baltimore, and mine, Seattle, But then also a, a business community, the, the ophthalmology, and more, more specifically, the cornea community, where Doug's been on the board of CareLink for 18 years. I've been working in this space for 25 plus years. And so the networks of people that we could contact to begin to evaluate a transaction, to put it together, were, were real and solid. And we were directed to people that could help us out very quickly. And I know uh, at, at different points in time, Doug had members of his board talking to members of my board to, to make sure that they were, you know, synergy at that level as well. And so, having those networks and the right people that you can reach out to and get advice is, is critical. And then I think as a CEO, be willing to ask questions and be willing to raise your hand and say, I don't know what I don't know here. Who could help me figure it out versus, you know, thinking that somehow because you're the CEO, you have all the answers. Um, that's always not the case. And so, having the networks and the willingness to open yourself up to to have those networks benefit you is really critical.
0: That's great. So, Chris, obviously, again, stepping away from the nuance of this particular deal, what what takeaways do you take to the next transaction and advice you give folks that you did see in this process?
3: Again, it's it was it was focus. It, it we try to work with people in advance to get them to be focused to have their true understanding of the deal. And, and one of the things that will tell say a husband and wife owner is before they go down this path is go away to a nice quiet place, get that bottle of wine and make decisions as to what is most important to you. Because in the deal, and I'm sure Doug, you saw this. I know you did. Things get emotional, things get passionate, and you always have to remember why am I doing this? And in this case, It was written down, it was clear, we knew what Monty was doing, and remember, Monty was going through the issues that Monty was going through to go through this, so we were really having both sides in that, but both knew, why am I doing this deal? So even in the highs and lows of being a CEO emotionally, both Monty and Doug knew this was the deal they should be doing, because we had clear focus from
1: both sides there's a sure. there 's a real nuts and bolts thing that I just thought of, Chris, as you were saying that, um, and this is a tip really to people that want to make sure their deal stays on track very often you you sign a letter of intent, and the letter of intent is a back of an envelope you know document with four or five bullet points on it that are very, very vague and almost intentionally so and they say well we 'll figure it out when we do the final documents in this deal, both Monty and I, together with Chris and the lawyers we said, no, no, we want this to be a very, very specific letter of intent. And so our letter of intent was a single-space document that went on for, what, Monty, three pages, three and a half pages, something like that, uh, With yeah. where we were truly trying to anticipate virtually every issue that could come up in, the ter- in terms of drafting the final documents for this deal. And that became our roadmap. And once we agreed to those and had our board sign on to the letter of intent, it became crystal clear in terms of how the deal was going to be documented that we were going to adhere to this. And it, it just made it so much easier and so much smoother that we did that um, legwork up front. And again, that was a product, at least on our end, of Chris Helmrath and um, Mark Jensen saying, no, 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 we've seen this in, in deals before. It's worth putting the time in up front.
0: Well, gentlemen, I really want to thank you for taking time out. I think this is a really unique opportunity to get three very different perspectives on how this process actually unfolded. And so I want to thank you for your time. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning into this and encourage them to come back. We'll have more episodes of the Now to Next podcast. Keep following along at schgroup.com for more episodes in the near future. Thanks, guys.